You can always just measure the level of hate mail, see if it's gone down. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 122 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Curtis McHale, Woo-hoo. Eric Davis, Hi. Ruben Lerner. Hey, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're going to be talking about valuing your time, how to handle people who are coming to you and trying to take advantage of your kindness by getting free advice, that kind of stuff. Let's go ahead and talk about this. So we got some free advice for you here. Yeah. No. So the the pernicious evil that I see when people have this kind of stuff is they send you an email and they say, hey, I've got a quick question. And it is. It's a quick question to ask, but not a quick question to answer. Yeah. So I keep one call per week kind of open to talk to new freelancers because other freelancers help me at different points. And I will book them into that half hour call to basically ask whatever they want for half an hour. But when that half hour is done, it is done. Mm-hmm. Like I'll just say, sorry, half hour's done. That's all the time I have. And if you want further help, consulting, whatever, then you need to pay me for it. And I do very similar things with clients. If they have a question that I can answer in kind of their intro call, which is part of my onboarding process, then I'll answer it right there. That's fine. But when they come back with, oh, and here's two or three other ones. Can you just take more looks at my site? I respond back with, here's how much it costs to hire me. This is, you know, minimum five hours to start do- going through this and we can start scoping out your project. But that's it. I'm not just doing free advice all the time. I I think it's an easy trap to get sucked into for a lot of us. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I got into consulting in part because I really like helping people and I really like using the skills that I've gained to help people who don't have those skills. And so if someone comes and says, oh, could you help me out? My first instinct is to say, well, yes, I'd love to help you. Uh, And it took me a good few years at the beginning to realize, first of all, this is a losing business strategy. (laughs) <laughs> to constantly be just helping people and not charge for it. And secondly, the advice I'm giving people is is hopefully and presumably helpful and worth something to them. And if it's worth something to them, then that is worth paying for. And of course, the bottom line is, as I tell people, you know, I wish I could help you for free, but, you know, I got to pay my mortgage and pay for food and so forth. And this is how I earn a living. I really like to help people too. So yesterday I was actually over at Starbucks. I set up a co-working thing every week. And, you know, we talked and a junior developer that I know showed up and he's bidding out a project. And so he asked me a bunch of questions. And if I'm out there hanging out, if I'm at a user's group or something like that, you know, I don't mind chatting with people. And if you have questions, I don't mind answering questions. The problem comes in when I have, for example, I have about 500 emails I need to get through probably today, you know, to get caught up on my email. And I'm probably going to see about having Mandy or somebody else help me with my email load because it it just kind of blew up on me. And part of that's because I was gone for two extra days this weekend. But anyway, so I don't have time to answer those questions. And a lot of times the quick question, it's a quick question to ask. But, you know, I have to sit down. I have to think about the answer. I have to come up with a good response. And, you know, it's not a quick question for me. And so, yeah, a lot of times I'll give them a cursory answer, which is something along the lines of, well, we did a freelancer show episode or Ruby Rogues episode about this and, uh, you know, things like that. But how do you tell people that without being rude? Well, some people are just going to think it's rude, right? 
I don't get as many emails as you do, but I just don't respond to ones where it's mm-hmm. like I just not, especially when it's the me, 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 like how can you help me? How can you help me? How can you help me? And they're not offering me anything whatsoever because I just don't have the time. I've got kids that I would like to hang out with at some point. That's why I only book like one call in a week to help with someone else. And that's a half hour. If we can answer it in half an hour, that's fine. If it's outside of half an hour, then you can pay me for it. Um, same with the client stuff. We can start scoping your project if it takes longer than half an hour. Otherwise, then you just can't do it. So I don't worry about it. I will be rude. All of my friends know, even friends I know that I do give you know, their free advice or look at their stuff. They know that my world does not center around them. So if they, I take two weeks to look at it, then they can pay me to take less time or they can wait two weeks. I found uh, kind of the same thing. I've also, you know, let people know, hey, look, here's kind of why I'm busy. You know, I, you know, I record four podcasts in a week and I have client work and I just don't have time to formulate a great response for this. Here are the two or three things that come to mind in the two minutes I'm going to spend on this email. And I'm really sorry that I don't have time to give you a better answer. And most people seem to be okay with that. They understand, hey, yeah, he's, you know, doing all this other stuff. And, you know, I get a lot of value out of the podcasts which is usually why they've emailed me anyway. I love your podcast and I had to question. So people tend to be okay with that for the most part. Say another thing that I'm thinking of doing as my email scales up is again, booking a half hour to answer the emails and whatever emails I can get through in half an hour, great. The rest of them I'm just going to trash because I simply cannot deal with all of it, right? Yeah. I, I do like to get people a response, you know, some kind of response. But why though? I don't know. I, I like to feel connected. No, no offense to our listeners, and I'm probably sounding rude, but like you have a, no, we all a have question. lives that do not revolve around everyone else, right? Like my life does not revolve around each and every listener and what they might need for me at any exact point. I love to help people, and I teach, and some of the best stuff I do is actually like I love teaching my students um, when I teach WordPress stuff or anything. I love mentoring and helping, and that's why I'm in mastermind groups and everything else, but I simply cannot do it for free all the time if unless I want to live in a fridge box with my family, and I really don't. I think it would be a little more cramped than where I am now, even. Even if it was a nice two-bedroom fridge box? Even a two-bedroom fridge box. Even if we happened to have a washer, like a washing machine box beside it, it would be more cramped. Yeah, and I... <laughs> I guess. I'll, I'll just... I'm not always so good about getting back to people via email quickly, especially if it's not urgent for business stuff. But I do feel, and perhaps this is just me, I, I definitely feel if someone writes to me, they deserve a response, maybe a short response, maybe I don't know. But uh, I feel pretty bad if I ever end up not responding to anyone at all. I do feel like I'm sort of obligated, I don't know, maybe just by <laughs> you know culture to, to respond. If you're working with like a client, like of course you're going to respond to them. But if it's someone who you don't know, they know you, they're not on your mailing list, they've never bought a product from you, you know, if it's just a completely anonymous person, you know, there's not much there for you to respond with. And especially like Curtis said, if it's just they're talking about them and they want to take information or stuff from you, sometimes like I'll just delete those or archive them or just ignore them. And other times it's just a template reply if it's, you know, the same question that a lot of other people have asked. But it also steps up like I have a list of, you know, my best customers. I have a list of people who are on my newsletter who I've had conversations with. And those people, they get kind of more priority. Like I, my email recognizes, you know, they've contacted me several times. So I can actually say, Oh, I know this person. He actually takes my advice, has good responses to it. It's probably going to be good for me to interact with him. Um, sometimes it even helps me. Like if he has a problem that I can write about or do something where, you know, you write about it once and then a hundred people can learn from it. Like sometimes that's actually a net benefit. 
Yeah, like when I saw, I mean, Eric emailed me last week and we had two or three emails going back all, you know, for a couple of days there in a row. I would jump any of the emails from you here on the podcast or other guests we've had. I would jump on those quite quickly when, you know, when people contact me on Twitter, I reply to almost everyone if I can help at all, because it's a limited form of communication right out of the gate, right? But all the emails that come through, I some I just don't have time for and I make time for my children. Yes, Eric, you should be happy. You're doing a happy dance, right? Right. yeah eric says right it really does depend on relationship right yeah i have this guy who called me i guess like once every six or eight months for the last few say two years or so and uh he called me again today and in the past he's asked me well do you think ruby's good programming language and should i work on i've tried this tutorial so i point in the direction of michael hartle's tutorial and i point in the direction of a few other things and then he called me today uh, after, again, probably six, eight months that I'd not heard from him. And I totally remember who this guy is. And I basically come to the conclusion, I just don't have time to start answering lots of questions. And he said to me, well, here's my problem. Ruby isn't quite working on my system. Can you help me out? And I was very straight. I said, yeah, I can help you out, but here's here's what my rate is to help you. And I think he was a little surprised. And he said, well, is there anywhere I can get free advice? I, I mean, I, uh, I've heard that there's a meetup once a month in Tel Aviv. I said, yeah. If it's not that urgent to you, then you can probably go there and people will help you. It, it's all a matter of how important it is that you get this fixed now and working now. And if that's important, then I'll have to fit it into my schedule and find a way to do it. And for that, you'll have to pay. And he might have felt been taken a little back by this. But when I hung up the phone, I felt really good. I felt like, you know what? I'm going to give him good advice if and when he wants to get it and take it. But I'm also not going to feel like, oh, my God, another morning I spent with someone doing something for free. And now I've got to work late at night to make up for that to pay the bills. Well, it's about yeah, information I, packaging. If someone needs something right now, like it's urgent and you have the answer or whatever it is, they're going to put more value on it. They're going to be willing to pay more for it. And, you know, if you are giving someone specific information like, oh, your Mac has a problem with Ruby because you don't have this other thing installed versus generic information of step one, do this, step two, do this. The more specific the information is, the more people value it, the more they would pay for it. And, you know, like in this case, you know, some people, it's not urgent. It's not really that important. And the benefit they're going to get from you helping them on their exact case is not, it's not worth it for them to pay your actual rate. And so it's just the, the, the cost benefit equation. Yeah. When I do user groups, like most often it's whatever, if there's, if there's even speaking, it's not something that I'm there to get the whole topic on. I'm there to meet people and, I have certainly sat in entire user groups helping someone with, you know, basic problems with WordPress to business stuff. And that is what I'm there for at that point. And I don't mind making myself available or we have our upcoming WordCamp and I will, like when I'm not speaking, I would sit outside in sessions and help people the whole day. That doesn't bother me at all. Again, sandboxing that I can't do that every day. Right, right. The, the context matters a lot, right? If I'm at a user group, if I'm even at a conference, uh, then if someone comes up to me, I think it, I'm more likely to help them out because I'm there as opposed to at my desk working on client work trying to get through my to-do list for the day or for the week, and someone calls me up, they're not going to get the priority. Yeah. The unfortunate part is that too many people assume that my hour only or someone's only thing today is to reply to your email. I know my friend Pippin, um, who we've had on a number of shows ago, 
like I've emailed him for support and I even have his personal cell phone number. Like I can just call him and ask my questions, but I know his data is not centered around me. So I'll send him an email and I'll wait the two or three days it takes for the support team to get through it. And that's totally fine. And if I have, you know, a real issue, I think like I got a triple charge on my credit card once and I emailed him specifically like, Hey, is this how it should be? And he, you know, bumped, he said, no, let's bump it off to the right person. But other than that, I just let his support process take it. And that is fine with me. I had something happen which is similar, I guess, to what we're talking about. So, as, as I've said many times, as you guys know, I, I do a lot of training through this company in Israel, John Bryce. And they make, well, they make a lot of money in general, but they've discovered that they can make a lot of money off of conferences as well. And so, I guess, each year for the last three years, four years, they've called me up and said, so, would you like to speak at such and such a conference? Now, my general reaction is, yes, yes, I'm happy to speak at conferences, mostly because I know that sometime after speaking at a conference, it will lead to work. It might take six months, but it will lead to some work. Um, and so I was a little surprised. So, And, and that's usually, what, a 20-minute talk, 30-minute talk. I stick around a little bit. I get a free lunch out of the deal. Okay, not so bad. So I was a little surprised when they called me from John Bryce a few years ago and said, would you like to speak at a conference? And I said, yes. How long would it be for? And they said, oh, the full day. I said, oh, and you're going to pay me for this, right? And they said, oh, no, it's such amazing exposure for your consulting business. We don't pay speakers. So I said, sorry, I can't do that. I don't do that. And so I was pleasantly surprised when uh, this year, about two months ago, they called me up to speak at a conference and uh, they said that they would pay me or they gave me the option also of having a booth that I could staff from my company. And given that my company is me and a programmer who works from home, the booth was not really a good option. So I was happy to see that they were willing to pay me for it, but um sort of still shocked that they generally assume people can just take a day off and they'll, of course, make tons of money off of this. Yeah, and I, so like WordCamps, you speak for free, but I know like they're not profit. Any money goes back to the overall foundation to supply other WordCamps that don't make a profit, right? And so I yeah, speak for totally free there. Story. Right. Yeah, I speak for free there and take all my travel, but I was asked to come speak at another one that they were charging. I think Word com- WordPress conference is like 25 bucks to go, right? And so I was asked to speak at another one in Vancouver that was like a $1,000 ticket. And it was, the again, of the no-pay variety. And I said, no, like at $1,000 a ticket, you guys can afford to pay me and afford to pay for a hotel room for me to come out. So I'm not like getting up at 5 a.m. to go out and drive. Whereas it's a $25 WordPress one, like I'll get up at 5 a.m., I'll go drive into the city, I'll speak and I'll hang out all day and then I'll drive home and spend a long day. That's fine. We want to help people. We, you know, we want to take the time out. You know, sometimes taking the opportunities that people present us are worth it for our business or what have you. When there is a clear business benefit, for example, you know, somebody has a question about some technology that, you know, you have some expertise in and, and it may lead to work. What's kind of the boundary that you hit before you start saying, okay, you've got to start paying for my time? I think, again, it depends on relationship, right? If any of you guys wanted to sit and talk with me at WordPress for an hour on Skype, I'd just do it. I wouldn't even really think about it, right? Uh-huh. But if a random client wants to sit and talk with me for an hour, I would say no. How about, yes, Reuben, I would even give you two hours, but I would expect coffee when we meet. Um, <laughs> come, come and get it, guy. <laughs> come and get it, okay. I can go to Israel and get it. But like, a, you know, a client, I, well, my process is I have an email and they there's a whole ton of questions in it and they need to answer most of them as best they can. They can't answer all of them usually. And then, you know, we'll go back and forth to tweak some of our answers and find out what we want to do. And if at that point we think it's a good fit, then we move into a half hour call and we do that half hour call and that's it. Like I book them back to back. So it is literally a half hour call and I have 10 minutes in between them. 
And if we, they need more like on phone time than that, then I really sit down and think like, is this actually a good client? Is this, you know, on a $25,000 project, if they want another half hour on the phone to just make sure we tweak some things, great. Otherwise I book them into like a scoping session and say, this is a scoping session with clients or with people that want business advice. Then I'm actually looking at an, a site called Clarity and it allows you to charge like by the minute for your time. And I can say, you know what, if you have more questions, you can by all means book my time here. Right. And so they could pay for, you know, 15 or 20 minutes of your time. But then you're actually on the clock as well. Yeah, my strategy over the years has been to give people an initial meeting for free. And the, uh, the assumption is that that initial meeting will be um, about an hour long. And I used to go to meet with people for that hour. And at a certain point, my wife said, why are you doing this? If it's really important that they meet for you, and if you're meeting with them for free, have them come meet you at our, at our house. And so just yesterday, two days ago, I said that to someone. I mean, I've started doing this more and more, and people are generally willing to do it which frees up an enormous amount of my time. Uh, and I, I'm thinking of moving even into just limiting it even more because I'm just finding my time is so limited. And to start saying to everyone in the known universe, oh, yeah, I'll give you an hour for free, it can become a little overwhelming at times. That said, yesterday I had two hour-long meetings with potential clients for free, and I went to them because both of them are likely to happen and both of them seem like really lucrative contracts. So, you know, my... My my decision was I think it's worth giving them this because it'll be so so worth in the while oh uh, in the long term yeah and I've been changing how I'm doing stuff you know after the first few emails of kind of introductions I have five or six questions I basically I'll email them and try to get responses and that's like a, what I use to qualify people like if they respond to like what's your budget question with I have a hundred dollars I know it's not going to work for me and I kind of move on like I'll point them to other resources to do what they need but I try to get you know, get answers to those questions, figure out like, okay, there's a good chance that this would be a good fit just in regards to like, we're kind of on the same page. And then I'll do like a 30 minute meeting with them. And basically that's their free advice. Like I want to fill out the relationship, see how we're going to communicate. You know, I want to learn about their project, like if they have technical problems or, you know, whatever, but mostly it's to see how, how well they can talk to me on the phone, how well I can talk to them, you know, answer any questions they'll have if they have like business questions about like how they're going to monetize or all that like I'll answer it but after that basically it's either a let's go to contract or let's part ways and that's you know it's basically because I've been in some meetings where it's gone like four or five hours of meetings over the course of a month that just wouldn't go anywhere yeah I don't do that if clients want me to go in and meet with them like in Vancouver that's a 60 mile 100 kilometer drive for me and depending on traffic can be two hours and I tell them that it's a build day from the time I leave my doorstep to the time I make it back and that actually usually gets them to say oh really well how about I come out to you in Chilliwack because I don't charge for travel time at that point because it's you know I we pick a spot there's a room I can rent really close and I'll just go over walk the two blocks over to the room and I don't charge them for walking two blocks. So I'm, I'm a little curious now. Do you find that, you know, doing things like this brings more people to you that have the quick question? Well, I this. think this is the first time that I've made it. Oh, like clarity, you mean, or like me? Just doing like, things like the podcast and stuff. Yeah, I think it does. I've got more questions since I started doing the podcast and put out some other books. This is the first time I've made it more public that I keep kind of a half hour a week aside for other freelancers. So usually it's just someone emails me for a question. I say, hey, why don't we jump on the phone if you want book a time? Here's a link. And they can book it themselves in the time slots that I've allowed for that. Only one per day. I don't think I've gotten very much email having to do with the podcast or base of the podcast. I probably get, I don't know, an email message every two to three weeks from someone needing some help or advice. 
but it's also very sort of hazy for me because some of it has to do with work, and I'm also involved in my community. I have this email list for people living in my city, so I get a lot of personal email there asking about it. And I've been running my own business in Israel, so I get email from people either wanting to do that or moving to Israel and wanting to know about it. So it's not that much, but it you know, occasionally happens. I think my preference is, I mean, I'm happy that we now have, here's a quick plug, right? I'm happy that we now have the forum for the podcast because it means that someone can ask a question and the answer can benefit a lot of people, uh, which is more efficient for everyone than just providing a one-on-one answer. Yeah, for my students, I actually started using uh, Slack, and they, a few of them have private messaged me or emailed me, and and I've wrote back, now ask the question where everyone can see it. And they ask it, and then I've actually found a lot of times my other students have answered it for me by the time I get in, because by the time I have a chance to look at it. Or everyone can see the answer, and other students are like, I'm so glad you asked that, too. Well, and the other thing with you know with this podcast is we've covered a lot of topics, so I get some emails from people who listen, but most of the time they're kind of higher up on the scale of like they put effort in, like they listen to shows and most time they're looking for like pointers of like, hey, have you guys talked about invoicing clients? Not a question of, hey, I need to invoice a client. How do I do it? And so a lot of times I can just send them a link to a past podcast or some resources that I already already have. Um, so it's a lot lower, like lower commitment on my end, which has actually made it pretty good. When I was doing a lot of open source stuff with Redmine, the support burden of that was basically overwhelming. I mean, it, I, I was getting dozens of emails per day from people who needed custom help and weren't willing to pay for it. And it, it actually got to the point where I actually burned out a couple times and basically said, I'm not doing support. I'm not doing this anymore. And that's part of, that's a significant part of why I actually left that ecosystem completely. Yeah, I keep a bunch of my WordPress plugins off the bigger.org WordPress repository simply so I don't have to deal with support. I find on GitHub when people get it, they more often are willing to actually, I have a, I have a solution as well as a problem, right? Or I'm willing to work on a solution with you. I mean, I've, I've also found sometimes that it helps. I mean, I've started blogging a bit more over the last few months. And so if someone asks me a question that I think would be generalizable or generally interesting to people answer, I'll even tell them, look, here's my quick answer. And I'm going to think about this and write something up in the coming days. I think I've done that once or twice, and it's actually, it, it benefits them, and it also benefits me. And once again, it makes the answer public, and it, it helps to you know, boost my reputation, boost my Google score, and all that other stuff. So it's sort of good for everyone. I do that all the time, too. I know Eric asked me a question recently, and I started writing to him, and then I fe- was like, wait, 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 and I wrote a whole blog post about it, and then sent it off to him, too. I sent him, like, the advanced copy first, and then sent him the whole blog post. Yeah, one thing I've started, not started, I've done it, but I'm kind of changing it is for if you get like a lot of questions about one topic, you know, like what your niche or your specialty or whatever, you can also create like a survey form that, you know, send people there. Like if they ask you a question, email, say like, hey, thank you, but I don't have time to answer this in detail. Can you fill out the survey? And then, you know, every month, whatever I go through and we'll answer those questions, you know, on a public blog post. And the nice thing is sometimes, you know, if it's not an urgent kind of thing, like I talked about earlier, they can put their question and they know they're going to get an answer. You can answer it at your own pace and you also get the benefit of like sharing it with the community. And one thing I've noticed, like you get a lot of like similar classes of questions. They're not identical, but like there's like 80% of the overlaps. And so if you can do a blog post or something like that, that answers that part of it, most people can read that and then have their own custom part for the 20%. Like, oh, well, you told me how to do invoicing. I have to do it a little bit because I'm in a different country but they can they get the basics in there. And surveys are really good for that and they're, they're very low maintenance on you. Like if you're busy, you don't have to go through and do a lot of work with them. 
Have you guys found that when you tell people that you charge for your work, that you can't provide that much for free, do, do you find they're ever resentful or upset about it? Yeah. I've generally found they're pretty okay with it. Some people are. I think it depends on who it is. I've had some people where I, you know, I basically explained, hey, look, you know, I've got a lot going on and I just don't have time to give you a good answer or, you know, I don't have time to give you a good answer right now. They they feel like I'm blowing them off and they get all upset because they feel like for some reason I owe them a proper response. But- for what reason, though? Because they gave you money? Because they're your friend? Or just because they're some random internet person? Because they're some random internet person and because I think yeah. they're accustomed to getting content from me for free anyway in the form of the podcast. And they think that I'm famous or rich or something. I don't know. Expectations. But uh, you, are rich. you are rich, aren't you? Yeah, I wish. But, you know, at the same time, I think most people are pretty reasonable about it. It's just that occasional person where it's like, oh, I thought you being a whatever, whatever in the community would, would be more, you know, willing to help and open and blah, 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 blah. And I, I don't respond to those people. I would never even respond to that. Yeah, if I got that back. There's always going to be people that are like that. There's nothing yeah. you can do about it. And honestly, I hope they never talk to me again after that because I don't want to have anything to do with them. I've got way better things to do with my time, like massage my beard, than deal with people like that. Yeah, totally. And there have been a few times where I really wanted to just say, well, why don't you go count the number of hours I've put into putting content out there in the form of video or audio? But really, I mean, there's no arguing with these people. It's not a reasonable thing. They're upset. And, you know, that's that's basically the way it is. I mean, you can just ignore them. And I've actually... I use saying, uh, I don't remember, it's saying email, saying inbox, whatever, but they have same a feature. Box. Yeah, they have a feature called same black hole, which yep. you put something in there and anything from that sender is immediately deleted. Like it's like a blacklist, but it doesn't even put it in spam. It's just, it's gone. Um, I've thrown some more of the abuse of people in there. And I mean, a lot of it is, like I said, like they just, their expectations aren't set. Like I've had a person asking for advice and I said, sorry, I don't, I don't have time to answer this. And they replied back with, well, will $20 change your mind? And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. See, I'd write back and say no, but 500 would. So if you got 500 bucks, I got half an hour. That's one thing that I've done too, is I, I actually have in uh, text expander. I've used Text Expander and I, I had a response in there that basically said, Hey, I'm totally willing to help you out, but here's, you know, here, here are the limitations of how I can help you out unless we're coaching and here are my coaching rates. And that seems to work out pretty well. And yeah, I've, I've used the same black hole thing again too, and it's pretty handy. Maybe I didn't do that. I just keep deleting them. Yeah. The, if you put it in same black hole, the way that Sanebox works is it actually combs through your inbox and then moves stuff. So for about two seconds, it'll show up in your inbox if you're there at just the right time. Otherwise, you'll never see it. Yeah, and for some other ones, I've set up you know, standard message filters where if it's from this person, put it in this folder. That's done on the server side. So it's like it doesn't even show up in my inbox. And I'd, I'd like go into you know, wherever it gets filed. I'm like, oh, look, I guess this person's sending me emails again. Oh, well. I don't think I've ever had anyone repeatedly send me email that was so annoying that I needed to put them on a, an auto-delete list. Of course, I now, have I've, one. now I've invited that upon myself, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to automate that this today because I have nothing else to do, right? I'll automate annoying emails to Reuven. No, I've had one plugin developer who wants me to try their plugin because it's the new best thing that they're gonna that's ever going to be out there, and I'm a fool for not looking at it, and they continue to send me that. And I can, after my one, no thank you, I just don't have time. I just delete them now. The whole thing has getting requests for free advice over the years has completely changed my perspective. Not that I really 
ever did this. But, you know, I feel bad for doctors and lawyers and other people who are constantly getting requests for, oh, can you just explain this? Can you just do that? Yeah, I mean, I'm was- actively avoid talking. I have a friend, a good friend of mine who is a doctor, and I actively avoid asking him any doctor-related questions. He's treated my daughter once in the emergency room. He actually asks us sometimes, like, oh, how is she doing for this? How are the kids doing? Unless he asks, I say nothing about it because he has other stuff to do. Yeah. I mean, if I'm sitting down and chatting with somebody and I know they have some expertise, a lot of times I'll say, hey, do you mind if I ask you a question about whatever? But I usually try and keep it to like five minutes and, you know, really just be respectful. And then if I really do need their kind of expertise or whatever, then I'll email them and say, okay, you know, what kind of arrangement do we need to make in order to do this? And most of the time, like Curtis was saying before, if, if we have a relationship already, most of the time they're like, well, let's just talk. And then if it turns into something that really does require a bit of time, you know, then we'll start working things out where I'm paying them for, for their time. Yeah, I make it up to them, like if they need to be paid for time. I yeah. go in assuming I'm paying. My friend is a physiotherapist. After my big ride, I had a little problem with my ankle. And he said he'd do it for free. Like, look at my ankle free. And I said, no, I'll pay you. And he, after our first, you know, 20 minute consult, he's like, I don't need to see you again. Just stretch it. You'll be fine. You don't need to pay me for 20 minutes of my time. But that was his choice. I would have paid him for whatever time he felt was necessary. A number of years ago, I saw some sort of, uh, it was a satirical, obviously fake questionnaire for people applying for membership to a synagogue. And it said, you know, I would like to sit next to... Check here, doctor, lawyer, accountant, therapist, <laughs> for free advice while services are going on. Oh, that's and, funny. <laughs> and, I mean, the, of course, the sad thing is, you know it's true. I mean, I don't get it so much in synagogue, but certainly when we first moved into our apartment building, within a day, our new neighbors were like, oh, welcome to the building, it's so nice. We hear your computer person, is that really true? And... Thankfully, I said to them, yes, I'd be happy to help you. By the way, I don't know anything about Windows. And that shut that conversation down very quickly, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. actually had to shut the questions down for my some of the pastors at my church. Like, how does my email's not working right on my Mac? And I was like, I don't even use the same email program as you. I have no idea. And so I just had to write an email saying, hey, I just don't have time, guys. I'm really sorry. I can't do it. If there's an emergency that like children will die and you need my help for it, I am there. I will drop what I'm doing for the day. But other than that, like there's a computer repair person, just go see him. Go ask, go see the guy that works with us or as at our church that does Mac training. Yeah, people's salvation is getting backed up. Hurry and fix the email. <laughs> what about family? This is one that gets me all the time. I finally told all of my brothers and sisters and all of my wife's brothers and sisters, it's like you get 10 minutes for free and then I'm done. The only people that I will help for free are basically people who were directly involved in giving life to my wife or I. So in other words, my parents, my grandparents, her parents, her grandparents. And the- Again, it all depends on the expectations though, right? Like I yeah. do some work for my brother's website and he sends it off to me and it is, hey, Curtis, when you can get to this, I would love to see it in the next three weeks. And usually it's something really trivial, quite small for me. I just need to, you know, get half an hour yeah. out for it. And he expects to pay me as well. Right. So, you know, after a month or two, he's like, I haven't seen an invoice. Do you have an invoice for me? And I will invoice him for part of the work because he also writes it off for his business as well. Right. Yeah, I do a lot of the same kind of things for my dad, but I've, I've gotten good. My mom, she expects me to drop everything and come help her. And a lot of times I'm just like, look, I can't come until Friday. And she gets angry and then she gets over it. And then I come on Friday. 
And I think there's a little bit of art to saying no or saying not right now, you know, to people who you do have a relationship with. You can just do like me and live on the other side of the country. It's a 52-hour travel time, so. Oh, there you go. It's about a 20 minutes to half hour to get over to our my my parents. I've been giving my parents advice, especially my father advice, for many, many, many years on computer stuff. And he never really takes my advice. <laughs> I mean, when I, was in, when I was in high school, sometimes, and this sort of says what kind of high school I was in, I would sometimes be in the office just sort of answering the phones instead of the receptionist. There were a bunch of us students who would do that. And so sometimes my parents would know roughly when I would be there. And so they'd call and my father would say, oh, I need some help with the computer. It's not doing X and Y and Z. But it was definitely a good thing when he found some local teenager to help him out with computer stuff. Unfortunately, that teenager then recommended, oh, you should totally switch to Linux. It is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. So that was bad advice. Uh, but at least it wasn't mine. I think it's all an approach, too, right? Like, I help my friends who are not very computer literate at all. And every time they say, hey, Curtis, I don't know what's happening with my computer. Can you come over? We show up. Like, I'll go over. We, I take the whole family. They give us all dinner. And they arrange when they can babysit our kids again so we can go out afterwards as well. And they have like a usually a very easy problem, right? They installed browser toolbars or something. Or uh, like my grandmother wanted to learn how to use a computer. And she's like, just teach me one thing. Like, how do I open and send an email today? And she'd teach one thing and she'd show it to me the next week. And she could, now, how do I open up Skype? Right? It was one thing and that was it. And again, over there for dinner every Tuesday night. So she teaches. That's fine. It was not all about me, me, like, again, help me, help me, help me. It was, how can we also make sure we're helping you at the same time? Makes sense. Anything else we should go over with this? Or should we get to the picks? I think we can get to the picks. All right. Eric, do you want to start us off with the picks? Sure. So uh, I don't know if I picked this before, but I read it again recently. It's a book called The War of Art, not to be confused with The Art of War. It's by Stephen Pressfield, and it's it's basically targeted towards writers, but it's actually really good for anyone who does creative stuff. But it talks about how there's like this thing called the resistance and how that's your battles with that basically determines how your creativity works and all that. And it's nice because a lot of it kind of helps you get over, you know, stumbling blocks, writer's block, that sort of thing. And I've, I, re- I reread it recently, and it's actually helped out with a couple of things I've been struggling with trying to get going it's a pretty short book. It's really good to get like little snippets of advice from it. Yeah, it's a terrific book. I also like his uh, Do the Work. Yeah, Do the Work. It seems like Do the Work was a lot like a, not Cliff Notes, but a very shrunk down version of it. I read that first, and so I knew kind of the ideas around War of Art, but I, I like this one better. It seems to be kind of it connects a bit better. There's a lot more stuff that kind of links to each other. Awesome. Curtis, what are your picks? I'm going to pick a book called Boundaries, which is about it's your own emotional health and setting boundaries in all facets of your life, whether it's your spouse or your parents. or So Chuck, you're doing a good job of saying, yes, I'll be there on Friday. That is when I will be there. And it's like, even help you in, in this conversation, setting boundaries with your clients or with your children or everything else. It's a good book. Awesome. Reuven, what are your picks? So I've got two picks for this week. First of all, I've been looking into doing some ebooks, and I might have, I think I mentioned in an earlier podcast, uh, Avdi Grimm has a system called Quarto. And unfortunately, it seems broken right now, and I'm either too lazy or too impatient to actually try it out. So I talked to a friend of mine who also had tried Quarto, uh, and he's, he pointed me to softcover.io. So I've just been looking through it, um, and it looks like an interesting and potentially very uh, rich tool chain for creating ebooks and selling them. 
I think, I mean, it's from Michael Hartle, who did the Rails tutorial book and videos and Empire. So this is basically what he's using now for doing his books and so forth. I think his plan is to use, make the toolchain available for free, and it is open source to anyone who wants to use it, but that it'll then be really easy to publish, sort of like a Heroku of publishing, if you can imagine it, where you just publish it and it goes to his website and it's available for sale and so on and so forth. So I've only started to dip my toes into that, but it's been uh, very impressive so far. And as uh, many listeners know, I've, I've gone to China a few times in the last few years. I've gone three times in the last two years, I guess. And I'm going again twice more this year. And so I've decided that I, I've probably reached the point where I can't teach myself any more Chinese. I actually need to get a real tutor so that the people of Beijing are not inflicted with my terrible Mandarin. And then I'm not stuck trying to understand what they actually say when they understand my question and answer at rapid speed. So I found this company called eChineseLearning.com. I've had three lessons so far. It's one-on-one video with Skype, and I've been really, really impressed. And they, they seem to have very good customer service. The prices are good. They let you pause it in the middle if you want. So I'm, I'm impressed with it as a business, and so far I feel like every lesson I have actually been improving maybe millimeters each time or whatever you measure language progress with, but uh, definitely positive. Anyway, yes, it's in Mandarin, Curtis. It's Mandarin Chinese. Uh, I mean, so when are you uh, doing? When are you doing a whole show in Mandarin for Mandarin listeners? My estimate is that if I stick with it at this rate, uh, hopefully, like four or five years, <laughs> I'll I'll be able to do some sort of like semi-serious talking, at least like part of the time in it. But a, it's a, it's a somewhat complex language, especially the pronunciation. And B, I'm still, I mean, I just want to be able to ask for directions and not have people give me funny looks. Or if I ask for directions and they understand me and they answer in rapid fire Chinese, I'll understand what they're saying. But I must say it's an incredibly cool language and it's been very refreshing. Uh, I know this is going to sound funny since I just finished a PhD and everything, but it's very refreshing to be not a teacher, but like the student in a typical classroom type of setting in something that I really don't know. It's already changed a little bit of how I do the teaching of the programming courses, seeing how hard it is to assimilate some of this information and put it in context. Awesome. All right. Well, I've got a couple of picks here. Uh, the first one is a book by Jim Gaffigan. It's called Dad is Fat. It's pretty funny. He's a comedian, and it's just kind of a whole bunch of funny stuff about being a parent. So if you're a parent, it's pretty funny. I'm also now listening to the last book of the Wheel of Time series. Books six through about... 500. Yeah. Through about 10 are kind of slow, but, you know, it's kind of moving all the pieces in place so that things can wrap up. But the last three or four books, things really start to, to happen and move into place. I think that's partially because Robert Jordan, the author, passed away and Brandon Sanderson picked it up. And I think he was trying to fit it all into one book and it wound up being three books worth. And so, you know, things just kind of had to move along so that he could wrap up the story. But it's been really good. So uh, I enjoy those. And finally, Curtis keeps mentioning Redbooth as the system he's using to manage tasks. And so I've been using that. And I'm really liking it. And I found a Chrome plugin that uh, adds uh, Redbooth features to your Gmail, which is, you know, where I'm at for email. So I'm going to pick that plugin as well. Mm. I didn't know about that. I'll have to check the show notes. So those are my picks. I want to remind everybody that we are doing the book club book To Sell as Human by Daniel Pink, and we're going to be talking to him in the beginning of August. So go pick up the book and read it and look forward to that. And we'll, we'll wrap up the show. We'll catch you all next week. 
Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.